Chapter Nine of Brewster's Millions by George Barr McCutcheon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine: Love and a Prize Fight. It is best not to repeat the expressions Brewster used regarding one S. Jones after reading his telegram, but he felt considerably relieved after he had uttered them he fell to reading accounts of the big prize-fight which was to take place in san francisco that evening he revelled in the descriptions of upper cuts and left hooks and learned incidentally that the affair was to be quite one-sided a local amateur was to box a champion quick to see an opportunity and cajoling himself into the belief that swearingen jones would not object to such a display of sportsmanship brewster made harrison book several good wagers on the result he intimated that he had reason to believe that the favorite would lose harrison soon placed three thousand dollars on his man the young financier felt so sure of the result that he entered the bets on the profit side of his ledger the moment he received harrison's report this done he telephoned miss drew she was not insensible to the significance of his inquiry if she would be in that afternoon she had observed in him of late a condition of uneasiness supplemented by moroseness and occasional periods of irascibility every girl whose occupation in life is the study of men recognizes these symptoms and knows how to treat them barbara had dealt with many men afflicted in this manner and the flutter of anticipation that came with his urgent plea to see her was tempered by experience it had something of joy in it for she cared enough for montgomery brewster to have made her anxiously uncertain of his state of mind she cared indeed much more than she intended to confess at the outset it was nearly half-past five when he came and for once the philosophical miss drew felt a little irritation so certain was she of his object in coming that his tardiness was a trifle ruffling he apologized for being late and succeeded in banishing the pique that possessed her it was naturally impossible for him to share all his secrets with her that is why he did not tell her that grant and ripley had called him up to report the receipt of a telegram from swearingen jones in which the gentleman laconically said he could feed the whole state of montana for less than six thousand dollars beyond that there was no comment brewster in dire trepidation hastened to the office of the attorneys they smiled when he burst in upon them good heavens he exclaimed does the miserly old hayseed expect me to spend a million for newspapers cigarettes and boston terriers i thought he would be reasonable he evidently has seen the newspaper accounts of your dinner and this is merely his comment said mr ripley it's either a warning or else he's ambiguous in his compliments growled brewster disgustedly i don't believe he disapproved mr brewster in the west the old gentleman is widely known as a wit a wit eh then he'll appreciate an answer from me have you a telegraph blank mr grant Two minutes later, the following telegram to Swearingen Jones was awaiting the arrival of a messenger boy, and Brewster was blandly assuring Messrs. Grant and Ripley that he did not care a rap for the consequences. New York, October 23. Swearingen Jones, Butte, Montana. No doubt you could do it for less than six thousand, 
Montana is regarded as the best grazing country in the world, but we don't eat that sort of stuff in New York. That's why it costs more to live here. Montgomery Brewster. Just before leaving his apartments for Miss Drew's home, he received this response from faraway Montana. Butte, Montana, October 23. Montgomery Brewster, New York. We are 8,000 feet above the level of the sea. I suppose that's why it costs us less to live high. S. Jones. I was beginning to despair, Monty, said Miss Drew reproachfully, when he had come down from the height of his exasperation and remembered that there were things of more importance. The light in his eyes brought the faintest tinge of red to her cheeks, and where a moment before there had been annoyance, there was now a feeling of serenity. For a moment the silence was fraught with purpose. Montgomery glanced around the room, uncertain how to begin. It was not so easy as he had imagined. "'You are very good to see me,' he said at last. "'It was absolutely necessary for me to talk with you this evening. I could not have endured the suspense any longer. Barbara, I've spent three or four sleepless nights on your account.' Will it spoil your evening if I tell you in plain words what you already know? It won't bother you, will it? He floundered. What do you mean, Monty? She begged, purposely dense and with wonderful control of her eyes. I love you, Babs, he cried. I thought you knew about it all along, or I should have told you before. That's why I haven't slept. The fear that you may not care for me has driven me nearly to distraction. It couldn't go on any longer. I must know today. There was a gleam in his eyes that made her pose of indifference difficult. The fervor of his half-whispered words took possession of her. She had expected sentiment of such a different character that his frank confession disarmed her completely. Beneath his ardent, abrupt plea there was assurance, the confidence of one who is not to be denied. It was not what he said, but the way he said it. A wave of exultation swept over her, tingling through every nerve. Under the spell, her resolution to dally lightly with his emotion suffered a check that almost brought ignominious surrender. Both of her hands were clasped in his when he exultingly resumed the charge against her heart, but she was rapidly regaining control of her emotions, and he did not know that he was losing ground with each step he took forward. Barbara Drew loved Brewster, but she was going to make him pay dearly for the brief lapse her composure had experienced. When next she spoke, she was again the Miss Drew who had been trained in the ways of the world, and not the young girl in love. "'I care for you a great deal, Monty,' she said, "'but I'm wondering whether I care enough to—to marry you.' We haven't known each other very long, Babs, he said tenderly, but I think we know each other well enough to be beyond wondering. It is like you to manage the whole thing, she said chidingly. Can't you give me time to convince myself that I love you as you would like, and as I must love if I expect to be happy with the man I marry? I forgot myself, he said humbly. You forgot me, she protested gently touched by this sign of contrition. I do care for you, Monty, but don't you see it's no little thing you ask of me? I must be sure, very sure, before I—before— Don't be so distressed, 
he pleaded you will love me i know because you love me now this means much to me but it means more to you you are the woman and you are the one whose happiness should be considered i can live only in the hope that when i come to you again with this same story and this same question you'll not be afraid to trust yourself to me you deserve to be happy for that monty she said earnestly and it was with difficulty that she kept her eyes from wavering as they looked into his will you let me try to make you love me he asked eagerly i may not be worth the struggle i'll take that chance he replied she was conscious of disappointment after he was gone he had not pleaded as ardently as she had expected and desired and try as she would she could not banish the touch of irritation that had come to haunt her for the night brewster walked to the club elated that he had at least made a beginning his position was now clear besides losing a fortune he must win barbara in open competition at the theatre that evening he met harrison who was in a state of jubilation where did you get that tip asked he tip what tip from brewster on the prize fight brewster's face fell and something cold crept over him how did what was the result he asked sure of the answer haven't you heard your man knocked him out in the fifth round surprised everybody end of chapter nine